Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Morning guys. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Henny van der Merwe. Um, I work as a mechanical engineer by day. And then uh, every now and then I get an opportunity to come and share what God has laid on my heart. So as you can see, that's my uh, family up there. My wife's face you'd recognize. It's the same beautiful brunette that was rocking the piano this morning with the keyboard. And then my two kids, the younger one with the funny face, that's Reinhardt, and Stefan with the hat. They're doing the monkey at kids' church at the moment, probably. So now that you know me, let's dig into this. So in life, there's basically a golden rule that most people would like to live by. And this golden rule says, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now, what most people don't know is this actually comes out of the Bible. But it's just so powerful that that we accept it as part of who we are and part of how we grow up and and how how we want to be. Problem with this is it's all fine and dandy until somebody mistreats you. Then you change that golden rule to do unto others as others have done unto you. You change it because that's our human nature. Our human nature is to, to retaliate. I won't take this lying down. I'm going to fight back. But what normally happens is the people that mistreat you are in such a position that you cannot really mistreat them back. A boss or uh, a superior or a manager or, you know, they, it's a bad career move to try and retaliate to something like that. You know, it's, it's like when my, um, sorry, if my wife treats me badly, not that she does, but if that should happen, you know, it would be a really bad move for me to retaliate against her and try to, you know, push back a bit, my life would be miserable. So what I would do is I would push it down the bench. So I would take it out of my kids. And then the kids, not wanting to, you know, retaliate against me, will take it out on the dog. And the poor dog doesn't have anybody to push down on. (laughs) So that's the way it works. And before you know, you end up in this tricky situation where you treat others badly because you were treated badly. But the person that you treat this badly doesn't know why. They don't have the history of you. They don't know why you're acting this way. They just think you're an idiot. They just think, you know, that's who you are. And this is an eye for an eye approach. You know, and, and once you do that is what we call is to get even. You know, you hurt me, I'm going to get even, I'm going to hurt you back. Andy Stanley says it very nicely. He says, you know, he asks this question, why would you want to get even with someone you don't even like? You see, the question is, why would you act the same way as someone that you don't even like. That's someone that you think you're better than. Going down to their level and trying to 
fight the battle down below. Okay, now with this in mind, put this in the back of your mind, I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament. We're going to talk about a story of David today. But not that story where he and the giant had a fight about a little pebble that he picked up next to a river. We're going to talk about another story. You know, one that we normally just skim through as part of our Bible reading plan. It takes place in David's fugitive years. You know, he was living in the wilderness. He was living off the land. You know, in, in one corner, he was trying to hide away from Saul. And in the other corner, he was trying to, take to, to stay clear of the Philistines. They talk about being between a rock and a hard place. You know, everybody is gunning for you. So it's safe to say that David was a little bit stressed in this time of his life. So let's pick up the story in 1 Samuel 25. It says, A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surely and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. So here we have two people. On the one hand, we have Nabal, who is a horrible person. And on the other hand, we have Abigail, that was intelligent and beautiful. And trust me, if the Bible says this girl was beautiful, you better believe that she was a looker. And the story continues. She says, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs went missing. Ask your servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men. Since we came at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. So David basically says, go to Nabal and, and tell him what we've done. You know, your guys were there, we know they were there. And we, number one, did not take their stuff, although it would have been a walkover. And number two, we made sure that nobody else took their stuff. None of your stuff went missing during this time. So David says, if you have a prophet, it's largely due to me and my men. So would you be so kind as to share in that prophet? No, which makes sense. Give a little, take a little, the whole thing. And then they waited. Now look at how this Nabal responds. He said, Nabal answered David's servants. Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I've slaughtered for my servants and give it to men coming from who knows where? So just look at this guy's ego. I mean, this was David we're talking about. He says, who is this David? Now, in that day and age, everybody pretty much knew who David was. There were songs written about them. 
songs where, where they sang, David killed 10,000 and Saul only killed 1,000. This guy was well known. David was the Chuck Norris of the Old Testament. <laughs> there, there were stories like, did you know that David killed a giant with only a stone and a piece of leather? Did you know that when David killed the bear and the lion, he only had to look at them and they killed themselves? <laughs> Did you know there was a street in Jerusalem that was named after David, but they had to change the name because nobody crossed David and lived? <laughs> Did you know that David could lift up a chair with just one hand while sitting on it? These were the stories that was going around. You know, people knew who David was. And yet this guy comes all high and mighty, thinking he's so rich, living it up, and talking down to David, because he thinks he's better than David was. So the story continues. And, um, and he basically says, David's men turned around and went back to David. And they told them how this guy reacted. And I can just imagine David's face when this happened. Now, now, you have to remember, this guy's a bit stressed. You know, everybody's looking to get him. And now he's getting it from this guy. So I can just see him getting up, taking a deep breath. And then the word says, he responded with three words. Get your swords. And then 400 guys stood up with him, strapped on their swords, and started marching down to Nabal. And I can bet you they weren't going to negotiate. They are not going to ask nicely for what they believe is theirs. So while this is happening, while David's men is going towards Nabal, all hyped up and so on, there's another scene in this story, and they break away, and, and it goes like this. It says, one of the servants told Abigail, the beautiful one, Nabal's wife, David sent messages from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, and he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Day and night they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master. And the whole household... He's such a wicked man that nobody can talk to him. So, so this servant realizes what's going on here. And she goes, or he goes to Abigail and says, listen, you need to help. What these guys said were true. They protected us. They made sure that we were safe. You know, and I know these guys. These guys are from Boxburg. You don't mess with these guys. They are hard. And then Abigail showed remarkable wisdom. Look, look what she does. She says, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, which is about four checkers trolleys, 400, uh, 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, and this was not tuxedo, it was actually, they were rubbed with salt, five dressed sheep, five sheaves of grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And then she told the servants, go on ahead, I will follow you. But she did not tell Nabal. So this was a lot of food that she sent out. I mean, just even to feed 400 guys, this was a lot of food. 
And she showed amazing wisdom. I mean, making sure that the food goes ahead of her ensures that when she gets there, these guys aren't hungry anymore. <laughs> she wanted to make sure that when she got there, these guys were well fed and absolutely fine. Now picture this. She was coming down with a donkey into a ravine. And as she was going down, here comes David and his 400 soldiers marching towards her. And, and uh, what she does next basically sets up our whole sermon. Look what she does. She's, when Abigail and Dave saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the man the Lord, my Lord sent. So she knows her man. She knows her husband. She knows this guy is bad news. And, and, but how she reacted when she saw David. No, she got off her donkey and she bowed with her face to the ground before him. She didn't have to do that. She was a rich girl. She was powerful. She was influential. But she got off a donkey, bowed down before David, and this startled David a little bit. Because let's face it, if a beautiful girl comes to you and catches you off guard, no matter who you are, you are on the back foot. <laughs> there's no witty comebacks, there's nothing else, you're on the back foot, and she has your attention. So she addresses David as my Lord. She speaks to David as though he is the man that she hopes he's going to be one day. She speaks to David as if he's already the king, as if he's already a great ruler. She speaks into his future. And ladies, let me tell you something. This works on all men. Even if we know you, we are doing it. You know, it's like my wife telling me, I bet you can take out the trash with just one arm. <laughs> you're like, I, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing here, but I know I can take us out with one arm. <laughs> do you want to watch me do it? <laughs> no, ladies, this works on us. And then... She comes very clever. The Bible doesn't say she's intelligent for no reason. She uses a Jedi mind trick on David. Listen to this. She says, And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hands, you know, you're not going to avenge yourself today. There will be no bloodshed. These are not the droids you are looking for. She, she's clever, this girl. And then she goes on and says, Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you, speaking of Saul, 
and want to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies will be hurled away as is from the pocket of a sling. So see the imagery she's, she's using here. She's taking David back to that time when he used a sling and a stone to kill the giant, to kill Goliath. Reminding him of that time that he had to rely on God. That he could not take matter into his own hands, but he had to fully rely on God to be able to do what he wants to do. So she says to him, what story do you want to tell when this portion of your life is only a story that you will tell one day? What will you tell your grandchildren when this story comes up? You have a choice today. Is it going to be a story of compassion? Or is it going to be a story of revenge and bloodshed? What story do you want to tell one day? You can choose this. And then she says, When the Lord has fulfilled my Lord in every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have this on his conscience, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and of having avenged himself. And when the Lord, your God, has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. So she understands the burden that needless bloodshed has on your conscience. She understands that, that when you do this, it will be something that you will remember for the rest of your life. It will live with you day and night. And this needless bloodshed is in stark contrast to the time that he had to fight Goliath. The time that he had to face the giant, he was fighting for God's honor. He was fighting on behalf of God. That is needful bloodshed. That had to happen. But now, he was going to fight for his own honor. To avenge himself. Which is the needless bloodshed that she's talking about here. Says, you don't want to carry this needless bloodshed along with you everywhere you go. You can choose today to take the high road. To suck up the words that this fool has spoken to you. Or you can go out and avenge yourself and live with the consequences for the rest of your life. The choice is yours. Then David came to his senses. He was looking at this girl, speaking with so much wisdom. He took a deep breath, looked her in the eye, and told her, I can see that you are wise. You send the food ahead of time. That shows me that you know the way to a man's heart. <laughs> no, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he actually said, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lived, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. David knew his guys were capable. 
He had absolute faith in his men to be able to destroy Nabal and everything he stands for. But he, he praised this girl, not because of her beauty, but because of the wisdom that she had. Because of that, that inner beauty that you can say. He saw beyond the physical and saw the wisdom that, did, that this girl spoke to him with. And that reached him. That made the difference. And then the rest of the story goes that Abigail went back to Nabal. And when she got, when she got there, he was having a party. It was all festive. The word said he was, he was partying like a king. You know, and he was very drunk. So she decided in her wisdom not to tell him that, in that moment what she had done. She waited for the next day, probably very late the next day when he was sober again and capable of, of understanding anything. She waited until that moment and then she told him. And when he heard this, he got so distraught, the word said that he turned uh, not into a stone but like a stone. He became stiff like a stone. And 10 days later, God struck him and he died. And now look how David reacts to this. Now the moment he hears that Nabal is no more, he sends his men, his merry men, onto Abigail and says, listen, I see your, uh, your man is no more. <laughs> Would you like to be my wife? <laughs> this girl really impressed David. But look how she reacts. She says, by the words say, she quickly got onto her donkey. <laughs> she didn't hesitate for one moment. She quickly got onto her donkey and rode out to him. And the two got married and they lived happily ever after the end. <laughs> they really did get married. <laughs> now the thing to notice here is that God avenged David. The moment when David stood aside, the moment when David decided to listen to the wisdom of Abigail and said, I'm not going to interfere with this anymore. I'm going to go my own way. God had space to move in and deal with Nabal. And so many times, even in our lives, you know, we stand in the way of God for him to work. We are standing in between God and whatever our problem is, whether it's a person, whether it's a, a work-related issue, we stand between God and that problem. We need to move aside. We need to step aside so that God can address the problem. Romans 12 verse 9 says it very nicely. It says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. God says he will take revenge. He will avenge you. You are his child and he will not have wrongdoing to you stand. Just make room for him, not taking matters into your own hands, but trusting that God can do what he says he will do. 
So in this story, there's basically three characters with three different reactions, but only one hero. We have Nabal, the fool, that wanted to repay good with evil. Now, David said to him, we protected your stuff. We looked after your stuff. And his response was, stuff that you ain't getting squat. And then it was David who wanted to repay evil with evil. If you treat me like this, I'll show you how I can treat you. I'll show you what I can do. And then there's Abigail. And she saw things differently to anybody else. She repaid evil with good. She knew that David was on his way to go slaughter her family. But she responded to him and blessed him for it. You know, she was, she was such a remarkable girl that she had a story written about her in the best-selling book of all times. She was really remarkable, and it's for this that she will be remembered. You know, she was way ahead of her time because David had all the right in the world to do what he was going to do. They were living in the Old Testament. There was an old covenant between the Israelites and God where it was fine to have to repay an eye for an eye. That was the law. If you hurt me, I'll hurt you. It's an eye for an eye. And then Jesus came around and he turned the whole thing, the whole way of thinking upside down. He said, this is not the way that we're going to treat each other anymore. And you can read this in the New Testament because it's the new covenant. And Peter had a disciple. Uh -uh. Jesus had a disciple whose name was Peter. And Peter was, was with Jesus. He saw that Jesus was unjustly treated. That he was unjustly arrested and unjustly crucified. And he wrote the following letter to the Christians in the first century they were, that were also mistreated. These guys were also persecuted. They were killed and murdered by the Emperor Nero at that time. And look what he says in 1 Peter 3. He says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because this, to this, you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter says, do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with a blessing. This is the calling that we have on our lives. And where did he get this idea from? He got this idea from walking with Jesus. He saw Jesus doing this. He saw Jesus blessing the people that cursed him, blessing the people that wanted to kill him, and eventually did kill him. That was his calling, and he understood that. And then David, uh, Peter, quotes something David wrote, because David was taking notes when Abigail was busy preaching. And this is what he learned from that. He quotes David that says, Whoever would love life and see good days must, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. David wrote this down. 
and Peter could write these words because he was walking with Jesus. He saw this happening. He saw that this was a calling on Jesus' life was not only to be blessed, but also to be a blessing. And this calling that he talks about is quite interesting. Just as a side note, just for some, you know, to color the background of the picture in a little bit more. This calling that they're talking about here was the same calling that God called Abraham out of the, out of the desert. God called Abraham out of the desert to be blessed and to be a blessing. And that calling was on David and his seed, the Bible says. And we can read that in Galatians 3 verse 16. It says, the promise was spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. So Jesus was the seed of Abraham that was called to be a blessing. And was called to be blessed. So every time that we do this, every time that we can muster up the courage to repay evil with a blessing, it's probably the most Christ-like thing that you could ever do. Because that's the way Jesus lived. In a way, Abigail was just like Jesus. You know, Abigail intervened on Nabal's behalf to save them from David's wrath, which was a righteous or a rightful wrath. He had all the right to do that. She intervened and saved him from that. In the same way, Jesus intervened on our behalf to save us from the righteous wrath of God. Because that's what we deserve. We deserve to have that wrath in our lives. And this is how our story intersects with the story of salvation. You know, what would the world be like? What would your life be like if you could repay evil with a blessing? Every time someone hurts you, belittles you, speaks down to you, speaks badly about you, you respond with a blessing. How would this look like? If we were to proactively engaging in doing this, saying that, and, and, and not saying, you know, this is what you deserve, I'm not going to give it to you. You treat me badly. What you actually deserve is for me to treat you badly, but I'm not going to do it. That's mercy. Not giving someone what they deserve. But giving someone exactly what they don't deserve, that's grace. Just think about that for a moment. The difference between mercy and grace. Now we sing songs about grace. He says, God's amazing grace. Because he gave us exactly what we did not deserve. And it's not in our human nature to act like this. To return evil with good. To return evil with a blessing. But being able to do this is what makes you 
remarkable. Being able to do this sets you in the category of Abigail, of a remarkable young girl. Being able to do this will set you apart and make you stand out. So the, the band can come up so long. Um, I want to ask you this morning. Do you really want to get even with someone you don't even like? To act the way they acted? To treat people the way that they treat you? Wouldn't it be better if we could just be ahead and not be even? So how can we get ahead? It's by exactly doing what, what Peter told us, what Abigail showed us and what Jesus taught us as well. It's by repaying evil with a blessing. That's the way that we can get ahead. That's the way that we can ensure that our lives will be remarkable. It would not be predictable. It would be remarkable. But it's impossible to do this, to act this way, to repay evil with a blessing, if you have never received this yourself. If you've never been on the receiving end of this blessing for what you have done, you'll never be able to do this. But God did this for us. God gave us a blessing, the blessing of salvation, when in actual fact, all we deserved was death. God says, I'm going to give you life. I want to give you life in abundance because that's exactly what you do not deserve. Second question I want to ask you this morning is, what story do you want to tell one day when this part of your life is only a story that you tell? When you, when you sit with your kids or your grandkids on your lap, what story do you want to tell them? Will it be a story about your elaborate plans on how you're going to get even and put stuff in place to make sure that this happened? You know, getting so trapped in in this revenge quest of yours, that that's the only thing you could think about. That's captured. That's not freedom. Living in this, this bubble of wanting to get even, get even, get even the whole time. Or will it be the story of how you blessed someone that didn't deserve it? The shock on their face, that moment that you gave them a blessing even though they were horrible to you. Romans 12 says it's like heaping burning coals on their heads. That's a life-changing experience. Having burning coals heaped onto your head is probably something that you would remember for the rest of your life. And by doing that, by being that means that you are like Jesus. You are remarkable. So you can choose today. It's your choice. You could choose to get even. 
You could choose to repay an eye for an eye, but that's predictable because everybody does it. It's in our human nature. Or you could choose to go ahead, to get ahead, and to be remarkable. So if you guys can just stand up to your feet. Now God called us to be remarkable. He didn't call us to live mundane, boring lives that's, that's predictable. He wants us to be remembered. Because if we are remembered, He will be remembered. When we do good things, all honor and glory goes to His name. He is glorified. He is raised high. He is lifted up. Like the song that we sing, we lift you higher. This is the way that we do it. It's by being like Jesus. Now as you stand here this morning, and you can just close your eyes and just listen to this beautiful music in the background. And let the Holy Spirit just minister to you. That If you're standing here this morning, you, you know this. You have experienced this grace of receiving exactly what you do not deserve before. But your heart grew hard. That feeling fainted somewhere along the years of your life. That feeling fainted with all the times people hurt you, treated you badly, belittled you that feeling just fainted away God is here this morning to remind you that you are remarkable God is here this morning to remind you that His love can soften that hard heart of yours That His love can transform the way that you think. The way that you act. You knew this love. You've tasted it. And it was amazing. But somewhere along the line, it just faded. God wants to remind you of the grace that He once showed you. And He is here this morning to reconnect with you. To blow on the, on the, the fire of your heart. To stir it up again. To warm you up. God wants to replace that hard heart of yours with a heart of flesh. And you, if you are standing here this morning and this is you, just allow God allow the Holy Spirit to just speak to you clear your mind of everything that's going on everything that's going to happen for the rest of the day and focus on what you've lost you are called to be remarkable there's people standing here this morning that never experienced this before that never known grace before all your life you are fighting to just get even 
all your life you are fighting for something that you feel you deserved. Just like David felt that he deserved a part of what Nabal was, was having. You feel that you have to fight for that. And this fight keeps you trapped because it consumes you. It's all that you can think about is what you are owed. What you feel you deserve. You know, there were so many words before, before and as Zahn said, you know, there's, when you feel you have hit below rock bottom. God is here this morning to tell you that He's so desperate. He wants you to get to know Him. Because He knows you. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows the, what's troubling you. He knows the stuff that keeps you awake at night. And He says, come to me. Get out of the way so that I can sort it out for you. He wants to be your dad that you can run to so that he can sort out your problems. He wants to be that for you. And it's that relationship with God that takes you away from that rock bottom feeling in your life. That trapped feeling as though you can't get away, you can't get out. It's that relationship with God that empowers you to change. That empowers you to see life in a different way. He's here this morning to tell you that He has a passion for your life. And He loves you so much. And all you have to do this morning to experience this amazing grace is just to open up your heart. Just to open up your heart and, and allow the Holy Spirit to come in. Just be bold, be proactive. Doing nothing is predictable. But acting on the way that you feel will set you aside so that you can be remarkable. Thanks for listening to this message from Shafa Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.